you have it, it's in there somewhere. What it probably needs is direction. What it probably needs is someone to shine a light. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Live Leaderly Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Alba. Here on the show, we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership, which just become stories about life. I ask that with the people in your life, please tell your story, listen to theirs, but in the meantime, we'll do it together. Here on the Live Leaderly Podcast. And joining us on the show today, he's the director of the Legislative Training Institute at the National Conference of State Legislators, Kurt Stedron. Kurt, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for joining us. And you're calling in from where today? Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. Well, thanks again for coming on, Kurt. Just to kick off, could you share just a little bit about your background and where you're from? Uh, Yeah, I grew up in uh, Michigan, the great state of Michigan. I went to West Point, as you did, uh, many, many years ago and graduated in 1989. Did my stint as an Army officer, uh, left the Army, went to graduate school, spent 21 years, almost 22 years as a high school teacher and coach. So there's uh, you know a lot of leadership lessons there. And then um, also small business owner during that time, uh, home building company here in Denver. We've done about 60 homes. And uh, the last five years, I have been the director of the Institute, as you just mentioned, uh, dealing with legislative leaders from all around the country and the five um, territories of the United States. Okay, great. Uh- a whole lot from the the academy to high school to talking with legislators. So we, we have a, a bunch of experiences we'd love to ask you about. But if I could take you back to maybe your first memory of leadership, like you being in a leadership position. So I, I, I my conscious memory, first thing that I can think of is when I was voted to be the captain of my sixth grade basketball team. And sixth grade was the first year I started playing kind of official formal basketball I don't think I really knew what a captain was or what a captain was supposed to do. Um, I knew it was sort of like, you know, like the coach's right hand person, but I I didn't really know what those duties and responsibilities uh, entailed. And so, yeah, it was sort of an interesting place to be where you kind of knew people were looking at you in a different way and that you were supposed to do something different than them, but you had no capacity or understanding of what that was supposed to look like. So started on the basketball court, and eventually took you to the academy, and th- and from there, along this this journey for you, were there many moments where you know you looked around, you're like, oh, what what did I just get myself into? Oh sure, yeah, most most of my life has been uh, every waking up every morning and thinking that, and in particular when you're trying to lead an initiative where you don't have a lot of training, a lot of experience, a lot of background. So for instance, this this housing company that I started 12 years ago. I'm a fan of architecture. I love architecture. I love this one particular style of architecture called mid-century modern architecture. That's literally the extent of my knowledge of architecture. I'm not an architect. I'm not a handyman. I'm not a builder. I couldn't change a light fixture if you paid me a million dollars to do it. But I wanted to manifest this vision of a particular type of architecture here in the Denver area. And so I kind of had this idea and assembled a team. And despite really any clue about what I was doing, we're able to take this and make it a you know pretty successful venture here. So and those are my favorite kind of leadership things where you don't know where, you, what, where you're going, what you're doing, or even if you're equipped to lead successfully in those um, in those environments. I think that's actually the most exciting kind of leadership. You don't have all those tools, like you said, the, the training and experience, which for some people that kind of holds them back. What might you say to someone who is, who's looking at something 
and they, they don't think they have that training experience, they're not going to give that a shot. What, what would you say to them after your life of, of experiencing things and you know success and failure? I would say that you just don't realize it, but you're leading every day all the time. Very few people would fall outside of that that circle of data. Everybody's got friends. Everybody's got families. Everybody works somewhere. And whether they're the CEO or they're the regional manager or they're the shift manager or they're the dad or the mom or the friend, you're always influencing other people all the time. And what is leadership except for influencing people towards some kind of destination? And if you're a parent and you've got a kid, you're a leader. If you're a, a, I don't know, you just work on the shift at McDonald's and there are things that, you know, that you don't like about the system and you're even softly trying to suggest this or that or nudge people in this way or that way, you're always leading. So, so if you don't think you have the experience, you don't think you have the training, you don't think you have the background, turns out actually you do if you're willing to just kind of look at it a little bit differently. And then you can start to ask yourself, okay, that's actually true. I do influence people in all kinds of unofficial ways. What, what would I be able to do if I had official power or title? And even if you set that aside, even if you're not even ambitious enough to do that, what have I learned about myself and my capability to have that kind of an influence on other people? That is essentially, to me, the definition of leadership. So everybody, almost everybody's a leader. I mean, only the person living in a cave uh, who doesn't interact with another human being, that's the only person I can think of in the whole world that you couldn't call a leader. Even still, they're they're leading themselves. I guess, yeah, in some way, right. <laughs> and so, Kurt, you were a high school teacher and coach for many years, right? Which is very different than your, your job right now. What, uh, what did you take away from from being in that high school that you're using today while you're, while you're teaching lawmakers how to, how to lead? That's actually a funny question because I often say to people when they, when they talk about that transition in my life, I say, look, I'm just, all I'm doing is teaching grown up versions of the jackass high school kids I had before, you know, like that just because they're 50 now and they're in the legislature, they were still that 16 year old kid in an English class or on the basketball court in high school. They're just a little bit grayer and a little bit frailer now, but you know, what you learn, I think, as a high school teacher is that you're dealing with a, a, just an enormous spectrum of personalities. Like you're leading this group. First of all, I mean, you are officially the teacher, so there is some authority. You're, you're the leader um, in, in title. But we were all in high school classes. We knew about those classes where the teacher couldn't keep control and things were a little crazy. Uh, in order to actually make that work, in order to get those people kind of lined up and headed in the same direction and trying to achieve the things that the course or the team would want to achieve, you've got to be able to connect with an unbelievable range of, of people. And you've got to meet them independently where they live and where they are in their own development and where they are in their own kind of personality style. So, you know, I think maybe the biggest thing I learned as a high school teacher was some degree of emotional intelligence, even though at that time that wasn't a term, that wasn't a, like a buzzword, but it was certainly now that I look back on it and understand that now, that's what it was. It was understanding what this kid's feeling that's different when that kid's feeling. And this kid who's having this tough situation at home and this kid who's maybe got this pressure on them to achieve. I mean, it's just a whole range of motivations and reasons that kids are in school or thriving or not thriving. And, and you got to be able to read that, react to it, understand it and then sort of formulate a communication, persuasion, negotiation strategy that's going to find a way to connect that person and their particular set of circumstances and needs to whatever the mission or you know outcome is supposed to be. So so reading human beings, understanding you know what motivates them, what they're scared of, 
what they want to achieve, what limits they think they have on themselves, and then using all that data to try and help them move forward again, gets back to the essence of leadership. And when you're just doing that, well, one person that's tough enough, when you're doing that with 35 kids in a classroom uh, and then the next classroom and then the next like 35 more and 35 more, that re- it, it's a leadership lab every day. <laughs> every day. Uh-huh. And, and so after that, you, uh, I want to ask, how did you, you find yourself working with lawmakers, going from high school to working with lawmakers? What was that? Uh, how did that happen? Well, like most things in life, accidentally, right? I mean, a lot of times we have these master plans for our lives. And, and uh, I think it's a, a flaw if we sort of stay stuck in, that, in those parameters. Like, oh, that's my plan. I'm just going to stay in that world. I, I like to stay relatively open to where the wind might blow me. And in this particular case, I had transitioned out of coaching a speech and debate team. I was a speech and debate team coach for a very long time and had done it for about 12 years and was sort of burnt out on it. And um, because I was a speech and debate coach, that's a skill that legislators obviously need, not just on the campaign trail, but once they become legislators. And I knew a person at NCSL who was kind of a mid-level person there. And I knew that they were having this big meeting. They have a big convention every year. They call it the summit. And he had reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we, we, we never do any training for legislation. We do a lot of policy stuff. Like they have all these panels about, you know, healthcare policy or education policy, or whatever. But we'd like to have a, you know, like a session where they learn to do something. And so would you come and do a public speaking workshop? So I go to this summer thing in Utah in 2004. I do a public speaking workshop for them. Goes well. They say, hey, you want to come back in 2005 and do it again when you're a teacher? Your summers are off. So I'm like, sure. Plus, there's a little bit of money. And then that, you know, so I did a few things for them. And then they were like, hey, we're going to take this group of leaders to uh, Killarney, Ireland in 2015, I think it was. Would you be willing to create a leadership workshop for them that was somewhat connected to the, to the Irish experience? And I said, sure. I had about a six month lead time on it. I did that. And then they're like, a couple of years later, they're like, hey, we wanna, we're thinking about taking a group of leaders to Normandy to do like a workshop on the lessons of D-Day. Would you be willing to design that? And I said, yes. And once I've done enough work for them, at this point, I'm not, not quite on their staff, of course, but it's going well and people are responding well to it. And then suddenly it's like that field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. Once we started to do it, everybody wanted more of it. And so at that point they said, Hey, you want to come over here and start up a training program, which I came over there in 2018 and have been there ever since. So being open to possibility and then not, I mean, certainly you're anxious or nervous about failing or whatever, but not being so anxious or nervous that you will fail, that you don't try. And so I tried both of them. And, you know, as of right now, knock on wood, uh, they're, they're both working out okay. Still going well. I never thought about leadership development for, for lawmakers. I think most people don't think that there's a program for that. You don't go on like a conveyor belt to go be a politician and learn leadership de- development along the way. That's why it's so necessary because when you think about it, like most state legislators and frankly, members of Congress, so this is true too, they're not politicians. They're not even in government. They're a dentist who's like upset about whatever issue and decides they're going to run or, uh, you know, they're a, a, a housewife that decides they're going to run for office. Like they're just these people from all walks of life who end up in the legislature. Maybe they've been a leader before in an official kind of way. Maybe they've been a manager before in an official kind of way. Maybe they own a business or something, but a lot of them aren't. They're, again, they're they're accountants and dentists and school teachers and retirees who run. And so suddenly they're in the legislature and there is a leadership apparatus in the legislature and somebody's going to be in those positions. 
And you don't want them to just kind of be accidentally up there, or if they are accidentally up there, you don't want them to fail because these systems are important all of our lives. So it's, it is important that they get some leadership training and development because otherwise they may not have had any in their entire life. And now suddenly they're the speaker of the house of your state of Texas. And there's an enormous, you know, responsibility of that position and, and difficulties, leadership difficulties of that position that are unique uh, to any other world that I've ever seen. And so they need it. They need it. And they want it. They want it. Yeah. I just, I never, I guess, put any mental thought into, you know, wondering how, how these people come to, come to be. And so, like you said, you get to speak with dentists and, you know, homemakers and all these people from different walks of life and different occupations. What kind of surprising leadership lessons have you learned from this very diverse group of people? Well, I have learned to appreciate how challenging their leadership role is compared to what we tend to think of as like classic leaders, like a CEO of a company or a, a general or a colonel in the army, you know, the cl classic kinds of the principal of a school, those kind of things. Those people have all kinds of institutional authority over the people under them. But if I'm a Senate president in the legislature, the people who are who I'm leading, they don't really work for me. They work for their constituents. The constituents are the people that voted them into office. Their first responsibility is to their constituents, not to me, not to their leader. And in fact, they don't really even have to listen to me if they don't want to, if they know that they're going to continue to get elected. So while I do have some tools, some carrots and sticks, I can put you on the committee you want or not. I can make you a committee chair or not. Um, they're pretty limited compared to, say, what a general can do. You know, a general jump and you say how high or a CEO can fire you. You can't fire a member from the El Paso who's driving you crazy because they're voted in by the constituents of El Paso. So they really have an unbelievably challenging job. And then, of course, the spotlight that's on them. The, the lobbying pressure that's on them. They got to deal with the governor's office. They got to deal with, you know, all kinds of different things that, that it's just a very different kind of leadership environment. And so I think they have to be a little bit more flexible. I think they have to um, be a little bit more creative and innovative. And unfortunately, the legislature is uh, a tradition bound kind of place that doesn't really want to change. And so if you're going to be, so it's a paradox almost like I have to, the only way I'm going to be successful here is to be innovative and, and imaginative. And yet this place that I'm in is like, doesn't want any of that. So you've got to figure out a way to, to, to put those two things together. So, um, and I appreciate that. And, and by the way, most of them do it for almost no money. I mean, it's not like they're, they're not Tim Cook who's getting $50 million a year, they're doing it for, for service, really. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for service. And uh, so there's a lot to appreciate about their experience, a lot to appreciate about the, the difficulties of their leadership. And it's a thankless job. And uh, I appreciate the people that do it. It's a hard thing to do. And I'm happy to be able to give them whatever tools I can give them to do that a little bit better. We talked a little bit before and you said some of these conversations are, are kind of intense and these things, they have to realize these things about themselves. What are, what are the kind of things that they, they realize in these, these intense sessions that maybe they didn't draw from previous life or they're just now reflecting on in that moment? Well, that's an interesting question. Like what sort of epiphanies are they having about their own leadership in these experiences? Well, I'll, I'll put it into the context of just one of the leadership things we do, which is this Normandy trip that we take about 10 to 15 top leaders over to Normandy every year and, and do a, a workshop on that we hope that they'll learn from the lessons of the, of the leadership on D-Day. What we ask them to do at the, on the first day is to actually 
choose their own kind of legacy-defining goal. In the same way that Eisenhower's legacy is kind of D-Day, like what's your D-Day sort of is the question. And so they think they write that down, have this in mind, and that's the thing that they noodle and struggle with all week. And I think a lot of times, maybe if they have those kind of epiphanies or insights, it's how different, I mean, I guess I'm going back a little bit to what I just said, it's how different their leadership capacity is compared to the military context that we're living in. The idea that, how different in the same? So that's the interesting thing. It's a little bit of a Venn diagram. Like the difference is I just articulated, but the same is, okay, look, it wasn't just the Americans on D-Day. It was the Americans, the Canadians, the British. So it's coalition building and how do we massage coalitions and how do we keep people happy? How do we give them purposes that that will keep them, you know, all together and the, the strands tied together so that they realize that while they may not have all these military capacities that a general or a colonel or a lieutenant has, they also realize that a lot of that stuff, a lot of things that those people do have to do, do apply. They cross apply into their world and they're able to just seize on, you know, at the end of the week, maybe two or three of those things to go back and put in their own practice so that they can move forward a little bit more effectively. No, that's that's great. I, we don't re- reflect enough, and so that's a a moment where they kind of have to reflect. You're you're there with your thoughts and that moment and those lessons. So I think that's a great opportunity for them. A great program that you guys have going there. But Kurt, we uh, we're about to wrap up here, so I'll, I'll throw it back over to you for any closing thoughts that you might have for the podcast. Well, I'll just go. My closing thought will go back to almost at the beginning of our conversation when you asked, sort of like, you know, what what do you tell a person that doesn't think they're a leader and doesn't think they have the capacity to be a leader? I, my closing thought is, you do. You, you just do. You have it. It's in there somewhere. What it probably needs is direction. What it probably needs is someone to shine a light and say, these are the skills that you have. And frankly, these are some that you can develop or maybe you need to add to your toolbox. But but everybody has the capacity to change the world around them, whether that's in their home life or their work life or the world writ large. Everybody has some influence on that, some people more than others, but everybody leads um, and everyone has the power to lead as long as that power can be unleashed in them. All right. Well, thanks. This is Kurt Stedron, director of the Legislative Training Institute for the National Conference of State Legislators. Thank you for joining us today. And for those out there, thanks for listening to the Live Leaderly podcast.